Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning. My guest today is Alicia Bryceland, who is a singer, voice teacher, and certified Alexander Technique teacher in New York City and in northern New Jersey. She studied uh, the Alexander Technique after finishing her master's in vocal performance at the New England Conservatory of Music. She, uh, on her website, you'll find a number of articles about the Alexander Technique for singers. And we're going to, we're doing a series of conversations about singers and the Alexander Technique. And this one we're going to title Inhibition, a Crucial Test, Test or Tool, sorry, tool. <laughs> yeah, Crucial, it's a, Inhibition, a Crucial Tool for Singers. Uh, Alicia, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Robert. So we need two definitions or descriptions before we begin. Let's start with the Alexander Technique. What is it? Okay. Um, the Alexander Technique is a way to understand what's happening in your body and then um, use specific tools in order to make positive changes in how you use your body on a daily basis and in specific applications. And and those those specific applications could include just about anything, but yes. in this case, uh, it's singing is the specific application, right? That's right, yes. So um, now let's get to inhibition. Um, how, okay, would you, how would you describe or define that? Inhibition is one of the three um, pillars of the Alexander Technique, one of the three large concepts. And it means pausing or stopping just for a moment when you are about to um, do something. It could be anything. It could be lifting your hand. It could be taking a breath. It could be uh, taking a step so that you have um, a split second to make a choice as to how you want to do that. So it's this wonderful calming sense that you can learn to apply to um, any task that you do that then opens the door to choice for um, how you want to execute that particular task. Right. And I think we need to spend a moment or two uh, to, to distinguish that inhibition from Freudian inhibition. Uh, Alexander's use of that word inhibition, I believe, preceded Freud. I think it did, yes. But mm. unfortunately for us, uh, Freud became more famous than Alexander. So um, in my understanding of Freudian inhibition, it, it, first of all, it, it our our inhibition is a good thing, and Freud's inhibition maybe not so much so. It was more um, a repression of right. of things, sort of pushing stuff deep down into your system where they'll perhaps explode at some point when you least expect it. Not a yes. good thing. And no. we're not talking about any anything remotely like repression here. No. But we're talking about as you as you put it, a pause. Yeah, it's a it's a pause. It's a calming pause, and it actually uh, works at the level of the nervous system, asking the nervous system just to calm and to wait for just a second, 
Mm-hmm. And then there's a moment for you to be able to make a choice. If you don't have that moment, if you don't use this um, it, very important uh, tool inhibition, then you're going to automatically do what your habit is. So inhibition um, really, really is incredibly important and incredibly useful for singers. So you, if you don't do it, as you said, you'll, you'll just do whatever your, your current habit is because your system is sort of set up to do that by default. Exactly. The, the brain is wired that way. So what, whatever our habit is, so how you, for instance, uh, pick up a pen and hold a pen is um, hardwired into your brain. That's the pathway that's like the wide boulevard, three lanes on each side, traffic mm-hmm. goes to and fro, flow all, fro all the time. Now, if we want to create a new habit for how we pick up a pen, then the new habit is going to be like a tiny little path on the side with grass on it and not even worn down. Mm-hmm. So we need that inhibition to just give us the opportunity to say, no, we're not going to take the wide boulevard. We're going to go down this small path instead. Mm-hmm. Over time, that small path then becomes much more well-traveled, and then that can become and replace the wide boulevard with enough practice. Right. And and I think it's important to say that that, that taking of that path that's not in the best of shape <laughs> at the moment isn't a... It isn't like now you've always got to take that path and the old one's not available anymore. It's, it's a, it gives you a choice. It gives you a choice. It gives you a choice, absolutely. But if the path is better, if the path is healthier, then that's the one you want to be your default. Right. You'd like to right? change. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You'd like to change that one to be your default. If the boulevard isn't serving you very well, then you would rather have the path. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So um, for a singer who who's coming to you uh, for Alexander lessons, when does the, the subject of inhibition first come up in in their lessons with you? Well, I first work with singers on um, awareness so that they have more of a sense of what's actually happening in their bodies. Their bodies feel more alive um, and more accessible to them. Then I'll introduce the concept of inhibition through um, what we call in the Alexander Technique games. Mm -hmm. We don't have exercises. The founder didn't want anything that was going to be codified and then could um, start to be manipulated and learned. He wanted to have games, which I think is a wonderful and refreshing way in this day and age to think about learning. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll do some inhibition games. And um, people will have the opportunity to experience what it feels like to just have that moment to pause and say, oh, I'm just going to I'm just going to be calm for a moment. Then I'm going to let the choice, my choice happen on its own instead of making it happen and pushing it through and going for it. So the the reason you would do some preliminary work to just get them to be a little more sensitive to themselves is that mm. it would be tricky to judge the results of inhibition if you couldn't really sense things all that well. That's absolutely true. 
um, right. by doing awareness first, then the um, the impact of any sort of inhibition game um, is much more powerful for for students. Absolutely. And and what would be an example of an inhibition game that you would use? Oh well, it's sort of like you know Simon Says. <laughs> it's, huh. it's, it's it's a variation on Simon Says, um, and I I learned this in my training programs, both of the ones that I uh, I attended, and um, so just staying within your body, noticing, being aware of what's happening in your body and in your immediate surroundings, and then saying, okay, well. Um, have somebody give them a stimulus, which is me giving mm-hmm. them an order, like take a step forward. Mm-hmm. Then it's their job using awareness to notice their reaction to that. How do they react to when when they get an order? What happens to, to their necks tighten? Do their legs start to cramp up? Do they start to move? Then their job is to say, okay, you know what? I choose to be a bad student right now. I'm just going to leave myself alone. I don't mm-hmm. have to react to this. I don't have to do this. I'm just going to leave myself alone. I'm going to hang out here and I'll move when I choose to move. Mm-hmm. That allows the nervous system to, to really calm down and they go into a completely different state than um, one in which um, they're just reacting to an order. And would you would you use that sort of game, say, with a singer, would you use that in a non-singing context at first? Absolutely. I, yeah. I, I do it with steps. You know, yeah. I do it, take take steps, walk around the room, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then after a while we'll move on to breathing, you know, mm-hmm. take mm-hmm. a breath. What do you notice when, when you um, say take a breath? Because basically what I'm doing is I'm mimicking how they order themselves. We all tell ourselves to do things all the time, right? It's the little right. voice inside of our heads. Right. And oftentimes we're like, do this, do that, blah, 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 blah. And how is our nervous system going to react? Oh, oh, okay, I have to do it. I have to do it. And it scrambles instead of saying, you know what? I can chill out for a minute. <laughs> I can be right. relaxed when I do this. I don't right. have to. I don't have to. Um, I don't have to work so hard. So it, it introduces the, uh, an element of choice in the, in the person's life about basic things that they do. Absolutely, yeah. and it can be applied to anything. 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 Yeah, and it's interesting that that the the games, the the idea of the games is that you described, is a little analogous to what uh, F. Matthias Alexander describes he did in order to, uh, in his case, improve his, his ultimate goal was improving his voice. Yes. Uh, for reciting. Uh, but he he would play little games like he'd sit in a chair and he'd say, well, I might stand up and I might not. And mm. he would be very interested in what happened when he made one decision versus another. Or he might he might decide to do something completely different, like raise an arm or something like that. And there was, he, he would play those kind of games you're describing on himself, basically. Exactly. And that was so brilliant. I wonder, I, you know, I just wonder what made him do that because it seems so counterintuitive. It was a brilliant and decision it was, on his part. It was part. brilliant, but yeah. it was counterintuitive and it was illogical. But it's it's the exact same thing. The body reacts much better to um, a backdoor approach than a direct 
clobber over the head <laughs> approach. Right. Well, I think I, my take on it, and I, I just I thought a lot about that when I first read it, and I thought, well, if what he was normally going to do was one thing, like say stand up from a chair, but he introduced these other options, he was kind of uh, taking what his habitual action would be and and putting it on a par with other potential actions. So it was no longer the action, it was an action. One of the possibilities. One of the yeah. possibilities. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine, um, having worked with singers um, from time to time, that's the kind of game that would be, I've not actually used it quite that way, but I could imagine that would be uh, a really interesting one to do with the question of, okay, you're standing here and you might sing right? or you might not, or you might walk away, for example, or something. You have like three choices. And what happens when they make the choice to sing? And I've noticed with singers that it almost always involves creating their idea of what the proper posture, if you like, is for now being a singer as opposed to mm-hmm. just standing here talking with mm-hmm. with the teacher and getting them to notice that and then getting them to notice, well, how, how might that help or more likely hurt mm. uh, the singing process? You know, that's a good point. Posture is um, is a, a big thing in the singing world, and um, it's not it's not really that helpful of a concept because singing is very dynamic. It's all about movement, mm-hmm. and posture really um, connotes, really brings to our um, understanding this completely fixed, completely unmoving position. Mm-hmm. And, you know, singers need to be able to move. And um, it's pretty, pretty crucial for singing, isn't it? Really? It's very crucial. <laughs> yeah. We're moving all the time, right. all the time. Yeah. And um, it's, it's an easy thing for uh, voice teachers to latch on to. Oh, your posture isn't good. You know, improve it. That'll help. But um, for singers, it, it, it can be sort of like uh, uh, being in j- putting yourself in jail unnecessarily. Yeah, I think, well, I think the problem is that that word over the years has taken on some very strange connotations. Yes. Um, There's a whole, it's interesting because just today on Facebook, there was a lengthy article about the cultural history of posture. And it's pretty amazing because the whole idea of standing up straight, for example, is a relatively recent innovation. It's not something that's ingrained in humans. And, um, Anyway, so, but I th- I agree with you that most people, when they think about posture, think about a kind of a fixed, rigid position. Yes, exactly. And you can see that even with non-singers, pretty much anyone, if you, if you even use the word posture, they'll, they'll immediately say, oh, here's, I should fix my posture. <laughs> and right. This. So, but, but to get back to inhibition, I mean, that, uh, the kind of games and the kind of games you were describing, um, it seems to me for singers, that would be an especially interesting thing to bring in right before they actually sing. Mm-hmm. They just, yeah, that's true. And, I, and Alexander, to get back to our, our illustrious founder, he, that's, <laughs> 
one of his discoveries that shocked him no end was that the harmful habits that he noticed using mirrors and so on that he engaged in when he recited versus just talking normally to people, those harmful habits kicked in before the first sound came out of his mouth. Mm. It was just the idea. Now I'm a reciter. You know, now I got to get my voice to the back of the auditorium and there's no PA system. Um, Just that thought triggered this whole sequence of things. Yes. None of which were helpful. Uh, At least one of them had been taught. He had been taught to do with his feet. I mean, all sorts of weird things that I think what really shocked him was they occurred before he even started reciting. Right, right. And I think a singer could discover that pretty quickly using the kind of games you're describing. Exactly. And that's 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 exactly the gift that the um, that inhibition gives to singers. It allows us to not get ready to sing. Or, for example, the other thing I noticed. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Because it's the getting ready that oftentimes, as you were just describing, that's just not helpful. We don't really don't need to get ready. There's nothing to get ready. We need to allow the air to come in and then we need to have a, a, a dynamic, energetic way of controlling and managing the breath as it goes out. And a lot of other things can take care of themselves. We're not going to control the vocal cords. We don't want to control the vocal cords, right? We want the vocal cords to do their job. They do it much better than we can possibly do it. Inhibition helps us get rid of the habits that surround, you know, wanting this desire to control the vocal cords. And just in general to control all sorts of stuff. I mean, what I tell my students is your brain is excellent at coming up with ideas and projects and so on. But it is the world's worst micromanager. Oh, it's terrible micromanager. It's really horrible yeah. micromanager. It, it's, it, it, that's not what it sh- You shouldn't be asking it to micromanage no. because it won't do a good job just due to its inherent nature. And right. you're better off letting it do the big stuff and but you know the other place where i could see um the kind of games you're describing coming in uh for singers uh, what what i notice is of course i'm sure you have too is that a lot of singers when they when they if there's a difficult section of something they're singing perhaps uh especially high note or some vocal technique has to come in that's a little trickier uh, they will anticipate that usually mm-hmm. by um, a bit tensing of extra up. tension. T- yeah, tensing, <laughs> tensing, which, of course, you know, they're getting ready to sing it. Right. And that that getting ready, that's I put that enemy. in quotes. That, I put it in the, quotes. That's the enemy. We don't want to get ready. Well, because <laughs> it, they're not really getting ready. They're getting no, unready. Just... But but they but it's so deeply ingrained, and it's right. uh, there's an element of fear there too. You know, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. don't want to get it wrong, and especially uh, singers and musicians in general live in an extraordinarily competitive world, mm-hmm. and um, they don't want to make mistakes. Right, but it it is this fear that um, actually detracts from the quality of the voice. It, it it gets in the way. And inhibition can also not only quiet 
um, the physical aspects, but it also can quiet the emotional responses that we have. Right. It can quiet that fear. Um, and again, we're not talking about pressing it down and uh, doing psychological damage to ourselves. Uh, selves. It means just a temporary, oh, you know what? I can just let that go. Let me just put that aside for a second and see what happens. Yeah, you're uh, not making a long-term <laughs> commitment to never come back to it. You're just saying for a split second, yeah. could I let it go? And I think that's really an important aspect of explaining that to students because a lot of times they're a little fearful of anything that's going to interfere with their, you know, the method they've been using Yes, and that but they've studied for years, you know, yes, and, and, and you come along and say, really, really need to be calm. It's so important for singers to have, um, you know, some sort of baseline of emotional calm yeah. um, because the vocal mechanism is so intricately tied into our emotions. Yeah. And as soon as I mean, it's very obvious to see as soon as you get upset, what happens? Your throat tightens, you know, mm -hmm. your larynx starts to pull up. And that's where the vocal cords are. And then they stop functioning in the same way. So singers need a certain level of emotional calm just in order to be able to um, to function well and to not have the mechanism go haywire from the get-go. Right. So inhibition is incredibly helpful. Just say, oh, I'm just going to calm down. It's okay. I'll, I'll be able to make it through this song. You know, world's not going to end. Nothing's going to, you know, uh, you know, go up in flames. I'm just going to get through the song and, and remain calm. Then they have a completely different experience of what it's mm -hmm. like to sing. And they yeah. sing better. I mean, I've, I mean, good singers, if you watch them, and let's say they do make a mistake. Maybe uh, they've forgotten the lines or something. Who knows? Yes. Yes. Um, I, I remember going to a concert years ago with my my favorite country singer, George Jones, who's been singing, was singing forever. And he, he was getting pretty old and he, he would forget lines and he would just say, I forgot the line and just keep on going. And nothing yeah. changed in his right. singing and right. really nothing changed in his bearing between his speaking and his singing. It was all of one. It was just, he was just there doing his thing. You know, that's yeah. a really important point because singers do make mistakes. Things yeah. happen. Yeah. If you're on on stage, you know, all sorts of, uh, you know, random things can happen. And the last thing you do is to want to have it impinge upon your performance. Right. So if you're able to, if you understand inhibition and understand how to use it, then something happens. You say, oh, I'm just going to leave myself alone. I don't have to worry about that right now. And you keep on doing what you're going to do. That way you're unfazed. Because frankly, as long as you keep going, then most of the audience isn't really going to notice or isn't going to pay that much attention to it. But if you stop, if you make a big deal about it, then everyone will notice. Everyone gets worried. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you want to say about inhibition? Um, I remember hearing uh, from a Master Alexander teacher that um, inhibition is about 80% of the Alexander technique. Mm -hmm. And um, I would say that for singers, it has that much importance mm -hmm. um, and can have that much of a positive impact on their singing if they uh, learn it as a skill mm -hmm. and learn how to use it. So it's really an amazing way to get rid of tension, which is the singer's enemy. And singers do a lot of, uh, a, so many different things to get rid of tension. And here there's this wonderful tool that directly 
can calm down this tendency we all have to want to overdo. So take advantage. It is out there. It's available. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, um, my guest today has been Alicia Bryceland, who is a singer, voice teacher, and Alexander Technique teacher in New York City and in northern New Jersey. And uh, she um, she studied, she became an Alexander Technique teacher after finishing her master's in vocal performance at the New England Conservatory. Um, she ha- also has written a great deal about singers and the Alexander Technique, and you can find uh, the article she's written on her website, which we'll put next to the interview. If you are in the New York City, northern New Jersey area, and what we've been talking about intrigues you, whether you're a singer or not, I assume you work with other people than just singers, right? Is that right? Yes, yes, so I do. So if you're yeah. in that if you're in that area and you're intrigued, give her a call. I'll also put a link to a site that'll tell you more about the Alexander technique in general and will enable you to find a teacher in in your neighborhood. Um Alicia, thank you so much for this. Great. Thank you, Robert. It's a pleasure. <laughs> 